expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week, roundup of the top news stories from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Gavin. Hey, good evening. And also joining us in studio today is Ross Feingold, a senior advisor for DC International Advisory. Ross, hello. Good evening. On the show today, we'll be talking a lot of history with former KMT chairman Lian Zhan's controversial decision to attend events in Beijing commemorating the end of World War II, the growing war of words between President Ma and former President Li Donghui centered around another World War II historical debate, and the punching of a historical painting that has led to some embarrassing revelations for managers of an art event in Taipei. Uh, But first, we'll start today with history of a different sort. A historically bad session hit Taiwan's markets this Monday. Black Monday, as uh, I think uh, some of us have come to call it. Uh, The morning session opened with a record-breaking 7.5% decline in only 90 minutes. Uh, The market staged a mild recovery later in the day and then, over the course of the week, uh, regained more of that ground. It looks like it's kind of on a bit of an upswing now. But, uh, of course, uh, Taiwan's market is just one of many that was uh, knocked about this week. Uh, The waves of volatility are mostly coming out of China's economy, which, as we've discussed, has been... Uh, contracting a lot more quickly than most were expecting. So uh, Taiwan very much at the mercy of these global forces, but uh, the government has been doing its best to stage some kind of response. Uh, Gavin, uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, the vice premier allowed the government to make the National Financial Stabilization Fund enter the market, and that was agreed on after a meeting of the aptly named National Financial Stabilization Fund Committee. <laughs> of all, now that's a good name for that, anyway. Anyway, also it allowed the fund to come into the market, and the fund has a total of 500 billion NT, and of course it's used to stabilize the TIEX at times of trouble. But of course, and some might say more importantly, there was also a ban on short selling introduced. And being a complete Luddite when it comes to financial things, Ross, what does this mean to the general public? Well, the the impression that short-selling activity gives to some people in the market, and certainly regulators who are a little more worried about what the impact of short-selling is, is that people are taking a view that the market is going to fall. And when there's an increase in short-selling activity, uh, it shows that there are investors who are anticipating bad things to happen. So they're expecting the market to go down. If the regulator issues uh, more restrictions on short-selling, which they did last weekend, they're they're trying to send the message that we're not going to let people bet against the market. We're not going to allow financial products that permit people to take a view that the market is going to go down. Uh, And it helps avoid, in the view of the regulator, uh, this activity making it a self-fulfilling prophecy that that uh, everyone is starting to bet against the market, and it's going to happen. There are strong arguments not to intervene like this and not to intervene in a somewhat ad hoc way. Just because the market went down, we're now going to come and ban some activity because there's actually very legitimate reasons 
for investors, especially large institutional investors, to engage in short selling. It's not necessarily evil, but at a time like this, it's good public relations for regulators to restrict it. Right. And what about the stabilization fund itself? I mean, obviously, the gov- do you think this, the government saying we could introduce the fund to buy shares in the market, do you think this may have sort of swayed investors to have more faith in the market? Um, I would only say marginally, simply because the activities of the stabilization fund are, are somewhat uh, opaque and mysterious, I I think, to the majority of of the public, whether it's the domestic investor community or the overseas foreign investors who invest in Taiwan. It it doesn't have as high a profile as sovereign wealth funds, if that's going to be the analogy, uh, in other markets, uh, or or whether it's in Hong Kong or Singapore or other places around the world. Uh, So we have to wait and see, I think, how much more they're going to buy and and, uh, how they publicly explain their actions. That that would also be a very key point. Which stocks did they buy? Why did they buy them? But ultimately, Gavin, the the issue here is the fundamentals, whether it's the global or the regional or the local fundamentals. If Taiwan companies are profitable and they have a good story to tell and they have a good they do a good job of getting that story out, then people will buy their stocks. It's a very fundamental thing Uh, to intervene just because there's a few hours of, of market drop, uh, uh, you could take the view that it's not good. It's not good for the for the government to always have this high level of intervention and to have this kind of uh, I can save everything viewpoint. Uh, and especially we have to consider the period of time where we are in the election season, that there's going to be a change in government next year. So what's going to happen then? The, the new government's going to come in and say, oh, we got all these stocks in the portfolio, uh, but it's all the fault of the previous government that we hold them. So now we got to sell them. I mean, we just don't know what their approach will be because uh, none of the candidates have really talked about how they would handle this. Yeah. I believe the DPP chairwoman Tsai Ing-wen did come out and say if if serious action needs to be taken, DPP lawmakers would support government sort of proposals in the legislature. They would fully support well, the KMT. If we're, if we're talking with regard to the stock market, a legitimate question to ask is, wow, what kind of intervention in the stock market is, is she proposing to do? And is she proposing to do this on a regular basis? Uh, I don't think uh, foreign investors would like to see that. Uh, frankly, I don't think domestic investors would either. Uh, one, one of the issues with Taiwan's market versus other markets over the years is that uh, Taiwan market remains somewhat more highly regulated, uh, and and the government is prone to intervening, whether it's changing the short selling rules or stabilization fund coming in to prop up the market. The, the key point here is that people, investors, retail or institutional, they want certainty, and generally they want to reduce the amount of government intervention in the market. So. Uh, I, I, I think it behooves both political parties, uh, regardless of who wins the election, not to send signals that they're, they're going to be interventionist. Well, it does look like uh, lawmakers may hold uh, an extra session to discuss a response to this. Uh, they're meeting next Tuesday to decide whether or not they're going to have that extra session. So we might be seeing uh, some more high-level policy-type decisions coming out uh, on this soon. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that. Uh, up next, well, what started off as a simple innocent story of a boy tripping and inadvertently punching a hole through a 17th century painting worth 50 million NT, has taken a turn for the sinister and the sleazy. After the video of a 12-year-old boy attending an art exhibition surfaced Sunday, uh, the event gained media attention from around the world, and unfortunately for the organizers, this attention has turned up some sleazy stuff. Uh, Many are now calling into question the organizers' claims that the punched painting was made by 17th-century painter Paolo Parpara. Instead, some claim it is the work of the equally obscure but apparently less lucrative 17th-century Italian painter Mario Nuzzi. 
Uh, so it sounds uh, like some small distinctions to me, but apparently, uh, if this is true, it would knock the value of the painting down to a measly, uh, I, I think, million NT or so. So that's quite a big hit. Uh, Gavin, uh, the Consumer Protection Committee, is now looking into this, uh, starting a, an investigation. Tell us about these uh, allegations. Well, he said the Consumer Protection Committee, which is a cabinet-level committee, is looking into possible, um, what what do they call it? They called it false advertising claims. That means that if the organisers of the exhibition, who I believe are called the TST Art of Discovery Company, falsely advertise these paintings as something they are not, they face a staggering fine of 25 million NT, and they have to pay back all the money of the people that totted off to the exhibition. So when we're talking about these allegations, uh, what what are we suspecting these organizers did, or or is it perhaps uh, before the organizers even got these paintings? What 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 are they what do they have in mind? That's the question. The Department of Consumer Protection says it is I mean, all it is is looking at. There's 55 paintings on display at the Huashan 1914 Creative Park in Taipei, and the organizers have insisted that they are all authentic. However, one colourful local art expert publicly described the claim that they are authentic as being impossible. Mm. And now the Consumer Protection Office, uh, they're carrying out checks on these paintings, apparently. Like I said earlier, they apparently are thinking or they're investigating along the lines that the organisers might be in violation of Article 22 of the Consumer Protection Act, (laughs) which basically deals, like I said earlier, with false advertising and false claims being made that basically Jobo Public is paying to see something and what they're paying to see is not what they've paid to see. So it's quite simple, really, although it sounds a bit complicated. So, you know, of course, when when, when this first video came out and we were seeing this kid tripping and and, and punching a hole uh, in the painting, it kind of gave the impression that maybe, well, the feeling that paintings aren't safe in Taiwan. And now that we have all this other stuff like mismanagement, allegations of mismanagement and potentially uh, misleading claims, kind of makes those uh, misapprehension or those apprehensions about Taiwan all the more credible. Uh, so, Ross, I mean, does this raise any issues for you? Well, interestingly, if we put this into the context of some recent events in Taiwan and specifically events that got into the international media like this one did, uh, the, the, the mismanagement concern that you mentioned is, is really the key here. And whether it's things that are more tragic than the, the, the painting accident uh, or things that are not not damaging to anyone's safety or, or, or health, et cetera, like what happened with the painting. The, the issue is the, the ability of organizations in Taiwan, whether they are companies or government agencies, to manage events and processes and, and do it in a safe and secure way. Uh, so unfortunately, we, we have had things like plane crashes in the Formosa Funkos Park tragedy. And, and again, we're, we're just back to the same issue of uh, uh, people in organizations taking the necessary steps to ensure a safe environment for everyone. And I, I think a lot of commentators have, have brought this issue up, and, and now we're going to do it again. And, and it's a very legitimate question about the safety culture in Taiwan, and, and how do we go from where we are today to improving it? Yeah, because it started off as a bit of a comedic incident, where you saw a, a, a large 12-year-old child trip over but of course he was in an art well it's not really an art gallery for people that don't know what the Hua Shan Creative Park is it's a converted former brewery that is set up to host exhibitions so he was walking around this exhibition with a plastic drink no doubt a sugary drink I mean near 17th century art yeah yeah I mean there's a reason you can't take 
fizzy pop into the Louvre. Although, to his credit, he did not spill the drink on the artwork. And let's also be thankful he wasn't seriously injured uh, himself. Uh, um, but it, it's just this issue, uh, you know, as you said, Gavin, you know, who's at the door? What, you know, what kind of training did the security people have uh, to, to ensure that food and beverages aren't be, being brought into the, the exhibition hall? This would seem like basic stuff for exhibition of valuable art uh, and obviously a safe distance between the, the, the public, the exhibition attendees, and the wall or, or display of, of the artwork. Obviously, there's a deficiency there as well. So we've right off. We, we've identified two serious deficiencies in this situation. And uh, so, I mean, this is just the kind of thing that might give some of these international organizers some uh, pause when they consider sending their valuable assets over to Taiwan. Yeah, and, and that wouldn't just be, say, for an art exhibition. It would be for a traveling kind of Broadway performance, things like that. Uh, we've had horse shows recently uh, in Taiwan. And some of these things are wonderful, and we're, we're fortunate that they, they can come to Taiwan. Uh, but, but again, you know, legitimate questions about the ability of local institutions, whether it's private companies or government agencies, to safely manage these things. All right. Well, uh, I guess it's uh, pretty early into the investigation, so we still don't know exactly where the mislabeling and misleading happened. So uh, probably a lot more is going to come out on this. We'll keep an eye on it as well. Uh, but we're going to have to take a quick break here. When we come back, a former KMT chairman bucks the official line and current and former presidents go head-to-head over historical disputes. That's all coming up after this. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Menconi, joined by Gavin Phipps and Ross Feingold. And kicking off this second half, former KMT chairman Lian Chan managed to stir quite a bit of controversy with his announcement that he will be attending events in Beijing next week commemorating the end of World War II. Those include a military parade. Uh, Now, the Mainland Affairs Council has repeatedly urged Taiwan's citizens to stay away from this ceremony. And uh, Gavin, uh, uh, basically, this stems from disputes over interpretations of the history of World War II. Yes, it stems from Beijing saying it was the communists who beat the Japanese and the ROC saying it was the nationalist forces who beat the Japanese. Of course, whether you believe either of those depends on which side you're on. But, of course, the dispute over Lian Jan attending, it's not Lian Jan's attending the actual events surrounding Beijing's commemorating the end of the Second World War. It's actually more centres on his attending a September 3rd military parade celebrating the end of the Second World War in Tiananmen Square. And of course, Hao Beitsun has also said that other ROC nationals planning to travel to China to take part in these commemorations should also not attend the military parade. But of course, Lien is attending it and Lien's office has come out and said it's a low-key visit and he's going there as a private citizen which a private citizen a private meeting citizen, with xi jinping yeah which is a bit contradictory and of course yesterday the kmt's 2016 presidential candidate came out and i guess you could say sort of endorsed his visit saying that basically He's going there to do good things, and if it involves furthering cross-strait exchanges and ties, it's a good thing that Lian Jen is going. And that was, of course, um, Hong Shou-Chu, the KMT's next year's presidential candidate. Right, and I, I believe uh, some KMT officials uh, have said that if he brings, you know, Taiwan's perspective, the ROC's perspective on this history to China, then, you know, this would be a positive trip. 
Uh, so, right, like Gavin is saying, he, uh, Lian Jan says that he's going there uh, in a private capacity. But doesn't this kind of put the KMT in an awkward position, having uh, a high-level uh, member going there despite what the Mainland Affairs Council uh, has been saying? Well, uh, as much as they want to say that he's going in his private capacity, the, the fact remains that he's an honorary party chairman. He's a past party chairman. He's a past presidential candidate of the party, a past premier and a past vice president. So uh, it's unavoidable to disconnect him from from his role in government in the past and influence in the party. Uh, the, the, the challenge here, what makes it so controversial is going to a military parade of a military that has missiles threatening Taiwan. So that from that perspective, uh, it's a legitimate issue to question whether or not it's appropriate. Uh, I would agree that it, it's good for uh, people from Taiwan and people of prominence to go to the events if it was something like a wreath laying uh, or visiting monuments or memorials and having a moment of silence. Hopefully, it would be less controversial, although I still think people from one side of the political divide would would make noise about people from the other participating in any kind of commemorative event in China. That would just be unavoidable and it would be for po- domestic political consumption. Uh, but but yeah, as Gavin identified, the, the, the attendance at the military parade is really inflammatory to some people in Taiwan. Do we know anything about what was behind uh, Lian Zhan's decision to go? Has, has he made any statements to that effect? Oh, he was invited by the Taiwan Affairs Office in China. And, and, and I think I think Lian still uh, considers himself as as playing some role in in cross strait relations, and and uh, to be fair to him, that's probably leg- a legitimate uh, view to have, and and uh, he's going to meet with Xi, and he's going to give some views about Taiwan. Uh, that's not necessarily a negative thing. We should not have a reflexive uh, reaction to say that he shouldn't go. A man of his prominence should not be talking to, to the Chinese leadership. Actually, it's good that he goes and gives, gives a view. He's, he, he's obviously going to be asked about the presidential election and, and what's going to happen if Hong wins or what's going to happen if Tsai wins. And, uh, you know, he's got experience in Taiwan politics at the highest level. So it's not a, it's not a total, uh, uh, negative thing for him to go. So uh, we, we should probably segregate the issues. Uh, that, unfortunately, that's not what happens, right? It, it becomes uh, blown up and into going to the military parade without any discussion of some of the positive outcomes that, that could, could, could occur by meeting with Xi. Right, of course, it'll be his third meeting with Xi. Well, which is another reason from Lien's perspective that, hey, I got a pattern of meeting with the senior Chinese leadership. That That is of some value to people in Taiwan. Uh, and frankly, it's a value regardless of who's president. So next year, if Ms. Tsai wins the presidential election and Lien John is invited to attend some event in China, uh, I would encourage the government, the DPP government, to, to make use of that. And, and, and instead of having a reflexive, uh, bad idea reaction to... to Brief him before he goes. Debrief him when he comes back. Of course, it's quite a, kind of ironic, really, that Lian Jan, of course, has been out of the headlines, out of the news since before the Taipei mayoral elections. Of course, he, he was there was allegations that he pressured the KMT to nominate his son, Sean Lian, to run in the Taipei mayoral elections. And he was all over the local news in the run-up to those elections. And of course, his son lost the elections. And then Lian Jan just disappeared. And now this week, he's back in the headlines... In a rather dramatic way. Well, uh, we, we don't know whether or not he would have taken uh, uh, the opportunity to go to China if his son had won the election. Uh, it might have been even more controversial, and maybe he d- wouldn't have gone. 
but his son lost, and uh, he, here's a chance for him to get back in the news and continue to play a high-profile role periodically. All right. Well, uh, moving away from that controversy and over to another one that is quite related, the ongoing war of words between President Ma and former President Lee Dong-hui. Now, uh, Lee, of course, represents a very different part of the KMT than Ma, so uh, they've never been two men who have exactly seen eye to eye. But uh, this last week, it's gotten pretty nasty between them. Uh, this latest back and forth began about a week ago with the release of an interview with Lee in a Japanese magazine in which the former president called Japan the motherland, uh, among a number of other things, uh, basically criticizing the Mod administration's own celebration of the 70th anniversary of the World War II. So, you know, the Mod administration has been holding its own events this year uh, to that effect. Uh, now this week, Ma hit back with his own article in the Washington Times, of all places to uh, for the Mod administration to release an article, And uh, there's been some kind of, you know, sniping back and forth uh, since then between the two. Uh, So let's uh, start with the Lee side. Uh, He's been making some controversial remarks, Gavin. Uh, Let's dig into that. Well, um, the the article, which was apparently described as an editorial, which appeared in Japan's Voice magazine. More of an interview, though. Apparently, that came out later when Lee's office said, hey, it wasn't an editorial. It was... It just came up in an interview that Lee had with the magazine when he last visited Japan earlier this month. And the magazine quoted Lee as saying that the so-called Taiwanese participation in the war of resistance against Japan is not a fact. And he accused Ma of staging a series of events this year, marking the 70th anniversary of the end of the Sino-Japanese War and World War II, in order, in Lee's words, to curry favour with Beijing. Mm. There's a very different perspective uh, than what we were talking about in the last segment. Uh, it's kind of interesting how differently all of these events can be interpreted. You know, the Ma administration on the one side saying China's totally wrong, and then uh, the Ma administration still getting criticized for holding its own events, and then saying, no, 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 they're just a curry favor with China, even though they're currently having a dispute with China. So a lot of different uh, things to take away from this. That comment did irk Ma, who came out <laughs> and accused, basically accused a former president, which is very strange for a sitting president to a sort of basically... Pick a fight. Pick a, verbally debase a mm-hmm. former president. And when Ma came out and accused Lee of betraying Taiwan, humiliating its people, and debasing himself by denying Taiwanese efforts to free themselves from Japanese colonial rule which, of course, opened another big can of worms and a question in itself. Well, the, the, the perspective President Ma has is he's president of the Republic of China. The Republic of China was one of the allies that fought against Japan in World War II, and it's perfectly normal and would absolutely make sense for the Republic of China and its president and its government to organize and participate in activities to commemorate the 70th anniversary of the end of the war. Where, where we get into the debate is what was the role of Taiwanese people in that era. Obviously, as we all know, Taiwan was a colony of Japan and Taiwanese fought in the Japanese military. They were posted all over uh, Asia in the countries where Japan had invaded and occupied. Uh, so were they volunteers? Were they forced to do it? People are going to have a different view on that. Uh, but they did fight for the, for the Japanese empire's military. Uh, but you know, President Ma is going to take a view that Taiwan was a colony. People were forced to do it. Uh, President Lee has somewhat muddied that. Uh, President Lee is not taking the view that Taiwanese who fought for the Japanese empire were forced into doing it. And that does not go down well with a lot of people, whether uh, people who came from China 
1949, or a lot of Taiwanese people, frankly, uh, because it starts to go in the direction of saying that Taiwanese were very happy to be colonized by Japan. They were happy to be forced into taking on Japanese citizenship. They were forced into taking Japanese names, and and they very willingly volunteered to fight the em- fight for the emperor against the Western allies and the Republic of China. That's probably not a winning argument. I, I think President Lee has is, is gone into a bit of a dangerous space with this, and and does not is not going to have very broad support to take this view. Well, one could argue it's the old. Monty Python-esque argument of what did the Romans do for us? <laughs> well, uh, it, it's, it, it's still not going to change the fact that Japan came here as a colonizer. And anything that Taiwanese people were forced to do or did willingly during the 50-year colonial era was as a result of a colonial government imposing its authority on this island. Uh, so if President Lee or former President Lee wants to get into this discussion... Uh, then he's opening himself up to criticism and even uh, op-eds written by the president, the current sitting president that got published in international media, which President Ma, as you mentioned, did this week. Uh, if President Lee uh, remained quiet, then he wouldn't open himself up to criticism. But in a democracy, if he's going to criticize the government as openly and as in multiple platforms as he's been doing over the last few weeks, uh, then it's very reasonable for uh, people, including the president, to respond. I want to. I just want to bring up the timing of this. Uh, maybe uh, it, this is just because I haven't been in Taiwan as long as uh, both of you. But the, the, this seems like an issue that you know the, the, Taiwan's relationship to Japan during World War II. This seems like an issue that is not terribly current. Why, why is this something that still feels very uh, vibrant and uh, real? Uh, why is this a real debate today? And why, why is it coming up now? Well, as we get into election season, we 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 have voters trying to decide between. The KMT and the DPP and, and the, po- the political parties uh, giving various reasons. Uh, within that mix of reasons why you should vote for one or the other, there will be historical debates as well. I mean, uh, is it all identity politics? Uh, that, that's a large factor, right? So the election is not always about what policies we're going to implement in 2016 and thereafter. Uh, yes. So there is, uh, well, don't vote for them because uh, they're part of an evil regime, uh, however you want to define that. Uh, they support colonialism, however you want to define that. So these things will come up in every election. So that's, that's, that's one reason why it's, it's very current within the current uh, political discussion. And plus, uh, as we've been discussing, it's, it is the 70th anniversary of the end of World War II. So that, that just brings up a multitude of World War II related issues, whether it's the role of the communist army versus the national army in defeating the Japanese on the mainland, whether it's uh, Taiwanese volunteered or were forced to fight for the Japanese empire, and the issue of comfort women as well. And of course, what's more, more ironic about this whole spat between Ma and Lee is the fact that the, the Diaoyu ties got brought up. Well, that was most of what President Ma <laughs> wrote about in his op-ed piece. That was 95% of it. Yeah, and of course... Which was quite ironic because then, then, of course, Ma and Lee basically challenged each other Wednesday this week to produce evidence to substantiate their conflicting claims regarding the disputed island chain ownership. Well, they, no, neither of them are going to come up with something new. So. No, it's not guns at noon. We're not no, talking no, no. Gary Cooper at high noon well, But here, they're Ross. not going to come up with something new uh, as far as documentation, right? So each side in this dispute, whether it's mainland, whether it's Taiwan, whether it's Japan – uh, or different sides of the political divide in Taiwan, they have the historical documents and arguments they're, they're going to assert, and it's the same thing as, as arguing over uh, the, the, the uh, retrocession, uh, to choose one side's word, uh, of Taiwan to the ROC at the end of World War II when Japanese surrender. Uh, each side has its own 
set of historical arguments and documentation to cite. Uh, nothing new is going to come out of this. And President Lee is not going to change President Ma's mind or the minds of anyone in the public who's following this debate. And the same thing with President Ma. Uh, unfortunately, we seem to be uh, going over uh, some, some of the same things that, that the political divide has gone over um, innumerable times during Taiwan's democracy era. Well, we're just going to have to wait and see if they keep this uh, spat going. Maybe it'll just give us more grist for the mill. I mean, we always need stuff to chat about, so maybe they'll be uh, on the providing end of that equation. All right, and ending things out with something a little bit more on the wacky side. Uh, Well, I mean, usually this is our wacky segment, but uh, some people are taking this pretty seriously. Someone let a porn star get on the Metro System's easy card. Gavin, how did that happen? Well, it wasn't just a porn star. It goes back to our last stories. It was a Japanese porn star. More identity politics. More identity politics. This one is because the Easy Card Corporation, which produces stored value cards in Taipei and use in Taipei and in Taipei County and parts of northern Taiwan, I believe. Well, they decided to produce a special limited edition series of these Easy Cards. Featuring photographs and some bright spark in the Easy Card Corporation decided to say, hey, I know someone we can stick on it. Let's stick this Japanese porn star on it, whose name I believe is Yui Hatana. Well, it's not the first time that this controversy has arose. Uh, within the last 15, 20 years, there's been a number of situations where Japanese pornography actresses were invited to Taiwan to act as product spokeswomen or uh, what was more common uh, for a period of time was to appear at trade shows in, in Taiwan, whether it's computer shows or auto shows, things like that, and to be on the exhibition floor uh, as, as a, a spokesperson for a, a product. And, and every time this happens, we have the same discussion. So the current discussion is not new. Uh, and the talking points have not changed. So we have the moralists who say, oh, it's horrible because it's pornography. We have uh, groups that are concerned with uh, protection of, of women's rights and, and, and uh, believe that pornography is a bad thing. And then we have people who say that pornography is, is a healthy thing and we shouldn't uh, be singling out this lady just because she's a porn- pornography actress. And she's also um, doing this for charity, as I understand it, and partly to thank Taiwan for its support and the aid that it provided after the 2011 uh, Fukushima disaster earthquake in, in Japan. Uh, so in a way, this sort of goes back to something we had talked about um, a few weeks ago, which was the controversy over the Japanese doctors coming to Taiwan uh, to provide uh, assistance to the victims of, of the um, dust explosion. I don't know if those doctors would uh, appreciate being well, compared to this. Yeah, but the point is, uh, you know, again, she was willing to do this for charity and, and, and take her time to do this. Uh, she probably has other money-making things she could pursue. Apparently, and, and she has quite a lot, Ross, because apparently she's 27 years old and she's starred in over 1,200 adult movies. Well, I'm going to have to take your word for that, Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we haven't independently verified uh, this this figure. It's for charity. I mean, it, it surely will depend on which way this goes to what charity the money will go to and if the charity will actually accept it. Because obviously there are certain charities that probably would balk at the idea of accepting money because of her image. Being yeah, and another important issue, uh, question in this debate is, is, is actually something similar to what we were discussing earlier in this program, which was the ability of institutions, whether it's corporations or government. And in this case, it, it's a mix of both because it operates as a private corporation, easy card, but it is owned by the Taipei city government. And, and it's the ability to uh, manage situations. And, and I think it's a very fair question to ask, did anyone at easy card consider that this would be controversial? 
or did they think that there'd be a whole bunch of of uh, pornography fans in Taipei who would be really thrilled that she's a spokesperson, that her image is going to appear in a car, and they're going to rush out to buy it. So this is just a wonderful idea. I'd be very curious to what transpired in, in the management meeting where they debated the merits of different spokespeople. And, and somebody said, well, we have this actress. And, uh, by the way, she's a pornography actress, but uh, she's pretty popular. And right. then did, did the right people in management say, oh, you know what? That's a great idea. I'll, I'll, I'll handle the controversy. I know there'll be some controversy. Or were, were the decision makers so ignorant of the potential controversy that they didn't consider it, and that just shows poor management. Well, one like you said, Ross, one side, maybe they were thinking, hey, look, if we stick pictures of flowers on the cards, maybe they won't sell. If we put a porn actress on the cards, maybe it will sell and it's for charity. But unfortunately, personally, I think they've missed the point there because, of course... When you do release things for charity purposes in Taiwan, they sell well anyway. Mm. Yeah, fair point. Uh, uh, on the other hand, the, the pornography actresses from Japan, again, they have a long history of coming to Taiwan. Uh, it, it, you know, people recognize them, uh, just the same as uh, mainstream actresses. So you could, you could say that there was a valid commercial reason, but uh, until we see the minutes of the meeting and, and how the decision makers at EasyCard uh, debated the merits of one spokesperson over the other, we're just not, not going to know. It, w- it would be uh, refreshing if they, they actually were more transparent about how this decision was made. Uh, you mean but, exposed? <laughs> yeah. I want them to bear all, uh, to be quite honest. I, I, I think the, 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 especially the male members of the public would, would appreciate both perspectives. Uh, but uh, ultimately, Merrick is is probably unhappy about this because it's one more controversy that he has to respond to. Uh, he does uh, call to account officials in his administration who make mistakes, especially mistakes that bring bad PR onto the city government. There was a quote from the actress, actually, in one of the local rags. And the quote went, Just because I am an adult video porn star, does it mean that I cannot participate in well-meaning activities and contribute to the society? Does it mean that I cannot pay a debt of gratitude to my beloved Taiwan? He's got a point. And, and I think in Japan, uh, that occurs more regularly. Where, uh, they have a very large pornography industry. And uh, it's also quite common for pornography actresses in Japan to cross over into mainstream, whether it's, it's film acting or television hosting. Uh, and we don't have that here in Taiwan. So, so that's why it becomes such a, a, a farcical situation. Of course, if she was Italian, you'd, people would be voting for her because she'd be running for parliament. Well, is there still time for her to run for the presidential election here? I don't think she can. I think she'd well, have to, yeah, we, she'd, she'd have to get citizenship <laughs> very, very quickly. Well, maybe she has some fans at the National Immigration Agency. I, I think she's actually polling higher than uh, Hong Shouju at the moment. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. And look at that. We found a way to make a porn story nice and wonky and controversial. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, the market's pretty much spoken uh, as to what they want. I, I believe that these uh, limited edition cards, which weren't supposed to be released, some of them have been uh, released, and they're selling for quite a bit online. So we at least know what people want at this point. Uh, but we know what you want. Uh, this show has been going on for quite a while, so we have, we're going to wrap it up here. You can send us your thoughts on the week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. If you are listening through iTunes, please take a second to rate and review the show. It lets us know what you're thinking and helps other people discover the program. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Menconi, joined by Gavin Phipps. Gavin? Good night. And Ross Feingold. Ross? Good night. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week.
Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.